Hello, and welcome to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I am your host, Mr. Miller. This podcast will cover a number of topics that happened on this date in history. Please visit the podcast webpage at thishappentoday.buzzsprout.com. There you can download the notes page, which will help you organize the information, as well as develop your own ideas on how these events change the world around us. If you're interested in hearing more, please consider subscribing so you will not miss out on what happens tomorrow in history. Today is June 22nd. At 17 years old, Joe Lewis started his amateur boxing career, which concluded with a 50-3 and record. Unfortunately, racial issues in America turned a lot of people off to him. Lewis eventually won the world championship, but it didn't come without controversies. After losing to Matt Schemling on June 19, 1936, Lewis saw himself moving further away from the championship. While while a loss is a loss, Schemling, who earned a shot at the belt, was a different case. He was a huge hero in Nazi Germany. Blacks all over the country were totally defeated. It was almost like every blow that Matt Schemling struck by to my father it was a blow to every individual in particular blacks listening on the radio lewis said lewis's son joe lewis barrow jr told espn if schmeling did win the title lewis would never get a shot at it he probably wouldn't have been able to take a selfie with the championship with so much negativity surrounding schmeling people were fearful for their careers joe gould who managed world champion james j braddock knew the bigger potential behind Braddock Lewis' fight. After speaking with Lewis's people, Gould was able to make the switch behind Schmeling's back. Following the switch, another major problem stood in Lewis's way. The New York commissioner wanted Schmeling-Braddock match, and they would not take no for an answer. If they chose to have a Lewis-Braddock match at Madison Square Garden, it wouldn't be for the championship. Fortunately, another change happened as promoters moved the match to Chicago's Comiskey Park. Then, on June 22, 1937, Braddock and Lewis clashed for the championship. Having an African-American in the title match was a huge deal for boxing fanatics. At that point, there wasn't an African-American championship since Jack Johnson, 22 years since Jackson, Johnson lost the title. People were crowding bars across America to witness history. Lewis found himself on the floor following a wicked jab from Braddock in the bout's opening minute. After getting back up, Lewis wasted little time going to work on Braddock. In the 8th round, Lewis knocked out his opponent, Cold, to be declared the winner. With the championship in his possession, Lewis would successfully defend it 12 straight years. Lewis's rise to the top influenced every African-American boy looking to step into the ring. In 1970, President Nixon signed into law several amendments of the Voting Rights Act in 1965. Despite his reservations regarding one amendment in particular, the Voting Rights Amendment Act of 1970 included an amendment that lowered the voting age to 18 for all federal, state, and local elections. Although a proponent of the 18-year-old vote, President Nixon felt the Congress was not within its rights to lower the voting age without a constitutional amendment. Nevertheless, Richard Nixon chose to not to veto the bill, but rather to submit it to a court test of its constitutionality. If I were to veto, I would have the right to veto the entire bill, voting rights and all. If the courts in the hold the voting age provisions unconstitutional, however, only that one section of the act will be affected, because the basic provisions of the act are of great importance. Therefore, I am giving it my approval and leaving the decision on the disputed provision to what I hope will be a swift resolution by the courts. President Nixon supported the rest of the amendments to the Voting Rights Act, and he deemed the bill too important to veto for the sake of 18-year-old vote provision. The amendments would abolish literacy tests, a measure 
which would history would show us was crucial in the expansion of the franchise and would also eliminate residency requirements for the state elections. In his statement, he highlighted his, the successes of the Voting Rights Act of 1965 and expressed his confidence that the new amendments would prove to be equally successful. To close the statement on the Voting Rights Act amendments, Richard Nixon turned back to the issue of the 18-year-old vote. Anticipating that the court would test would rule the provision in question unconstitutional, President Nixon called for an immediate constitutional amendment lowering the voting age to 18. The time has also come to give 18-year-olds the vote, as I have long urged. This is the way to do it by amending the Constitution. Because of the likelihood the 18-year-old vote provision of the law will not survive its court test, the constitutional amendment pending before the Congress should go forward to the states for ratification now. I therefore call upon Congress to act now upon the constitutional amendment to avoid undue delay in its approval by the United States should the provision of the new law be held unconstitutional. As predicted, the Supreme Court declared the Act's 18-year-old vote provision unconstitutional in December of 1970, but less than a year later, in 1971, Congress passed the 26th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which set the minimum voting age for all federal, state, and local elections at 18 years of age. And finally today, in 1934, Ferdinand Porsche signed a contract with the German government to begin development of a people's car, a vehicle that would be affordable, carry two adults and three children, and run with limited maintenance for many years. What emerged from this contract was a vehicle known by the German words for people's car, or Volkswagen. Today we call it the Beetle. The Volkswagen Beetle, officially known as the Type 1, began life during the Nazi regime in Germany. In 1933, the same year he came to power, Adolf Hitler met with Ferdinand Porsche and Richard Whittle to discuss the production of a simple, reliable automobile that would sell for less than 100 Reichsmark at the time when the German average was making little more than 30 Reichsmark per week. Porsche had already designed such a car and had a working prototype units available. With very few changes, this would become the Volkswagen. Its rounded shape was the brainchild of Erwin Komenda, Porsche's chief designer. Despite the simplicity and low production of cost of the vehicle, it would turn into a, a profit if some of the costs were underwritten by the government, something to which the Nazis agreed. But before full-scale production began, Hitler decided to invade Poland, triggering the Second World War in Europe. Resources meant for the Type 1 were redirected to military needs. The Type 1 engine and chassis formed the basis of several military vehicles during the war, but it was a British Army officer, Major Ivan Hurst, who was most responsible for bringing the Beetle back from the dead after the war. Hearst was placed in charge of the Volkswagen factory, which still contained an unexploded bomb dropped on by an American bomber. With the bomb safely removed, Hearst began the next phase of his plan, convincing the British military to order Beetles. This they did, eventually buying 20,000 of the cars. By the middle of 1946, one year after the end of the war, the factory was producing over 1,000 cars a month. It didn't take long for the Beetle to become a German export. Almost every nation with paved roads imported the car and renamed it in their own language, usually a native word meaning beetle. In 1955, ten years after starting production, one, the one millionth beetle was driven off the factory lines. These early versions had a 34 horsepower engine which was paltry by anyone's standards, but the beetle would run over 70 miles an hour and get 31 miles per gallon, which made it a stiff competitor to other small European cars of that era. The 1967 model introduced a 53-horsepower engine and a 12-volt electrical system, making the car even more popular on the American side of the Atlantic. The success of the Beetle drove other manufacturers, especially those in Japan, 
The success of the Beetle drove other manufacturers, especially those in Japan, to redefine their small car designs. Volkswagen tried several times to replace the aging Beetle design with the Type 3, Type 4, and K70. All were sales failures. It was not until their introduction of the Rabbit in 1974 that the Volkswagen had another successful model created from the ground up. By the mid-1970s, the appeal of the Beetle in Europe and North America was beginning to wane. In 1978, Volkswagen moved the Beetle production to Brazil and Mexico, countries in which the car still sold extremely well. The last of the original Beetles was produced in the summer of 2003 in Pueblo, Mexico. It remains the most produced car in history. This new Beetle, first sold in 1998, is today produced in Pueblo, Mexico plant. You have been listening to the This Happened Today in History podcast. I thank you for listening and I hope that you have enjoyed learning about historical events from the past. Thank you to the following websites for their information regarding today's topics. ThePeoplesHistory.com Joe Lewis at History101.com The Voting Age Lowered to 18 at NixonFoundation.org And The People's Car at MattsTodayInHistory.com the music used as the background track for this podcast is Americana, created by Kevin McLeod on Incompetech.com. If you enjoyed this information and would like to hear more, please consider subscribing, as this will keep the historical events in your feed in the morning for each day. I hope you have a great day.